Hey everybody, how you doing? Apparently great because you're just walking around the room like zombies. That's wonderful. I have one thing to talk to you about before we start. And I don't know if it's me that needs to apologize for I don't feel like I need to apologize for this, but if you happen to send something to Element last week, if it was a check or a prayer request, see, or you know something like that, uh, we may not have gotten it because this is what happened last week. We were like, oh, how dare they? It's a church. <laughs> it's, it's so funny that like this is worse than, it is worse than other things. Anyway, so someone uh, drove up in the middle of the night, I think on Thursday night, and they pried open our mailbox and took everything out of it. And we don't know what was in it, obviously. Uh, and they only did that one. The other one's actually got nothing in it. So somebody must know. But anyway, uh, all we have is like this video of like a white car. Whoom, clonk, and every white car that pulls up today, I'm like. <laughs> but anyway, uh, if, you, if you sent us something last week and you check, call or email our, our office this week, uh, you can send an email to um, accounting at ourelement.org. Our bookkeeper, bookkeeping, bookkeeper. Gosh, I'm the worst with this. I don't know. Send in, hey, Sarah, is it bookkeeping or bookkeeper at ourelement.org? So bookkeeping at ourelement.org. And if you did send like a check, just say, hey, did you get this or not? And if not, you probably want to cancel that. And if you sent us a prayer request, send it on an email. And that'll probably get to us better than people running off with stuff. All right. And I don't know when we're going to get that fixed. So I get that. Uh, whatever. I don't know what else to say. Hey, if you're watching online, how are you doing? Uh, if, uh, if you're new, welcome to Element. <laughs> there are Bibles in the seat backs in front of you. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. There are sermon notes on the communion tables around the room. They look like this. And on the inside of the sermon notes, what you're going to get is a paragraph that reflects on what we talked about today. You're going to get five days of like a question and then something to pray through. On the right side, you're going to get questions you can talk to your family or your friends or your gospel community about. On the back side, you're going to get the verse or the the passage that we're going over. And on the bottom, you get all the verses that we are going through. If you have a smart device, you can download an app. It is called Uversion. You click on More and then Events in Uversion will come up by GPS in your smart device, and you will get sermon notes, verses, questions, announcements, and everything that goes with today's message. My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors of would you stand with me for the reading of God's word? And this is Psalm 129, verse 2, and it says, Greatly have they afflicted me from my youth, yet they have not prevailed against me. Let's pray. Father, we ask that today you would teach us to be a people who understand what perseverance is and trusting you that what comes our way and, and maybe how others have said or done things to us, we would be those who persevere because we trust you, that our lives be found to be secure because they are found in who you are and your trustworthiness. Teach us to be a people who love and honor you by how we walk with you through all of the ups and downs and broken mailboxes and all of that every single day of our lives. Amen. Have a seat. All right, so I feel like going into all these messages, I kind of start the same in every single one of these messages, but it's good for you, repeating and remembering the stuff that we're going through through this series. This is week 10 of a series called uh, uh, Songs of Ascent or the Psalms of Ascent. So we are two-thirds through starting today. And the Psalms of Ascent center themselves on living out our lives in discipleship with God himself, that we live out what we actually say we believe. 
And sometimes, if you don't notice, I do complain about this a lot sometimes in services. My, it drives my wife crazy because I hate how TV shows and movies, how they always portray Christians as being involved in like voodoo or ritual or karma. It's like they have no idea what Christianity believes, and yet they're all listening to each other writing these horrible things about how we actually live our lives. They have no idea what it means to truly live in a relationship with the God of the universe who actually made us. And this is why today we're going to get to the place where we talk about perseverance. I think perseverance is very important, especially in the midst of a culture who has no idea what Christianity truly believes and yet constantly thinks they are the expert and they want to tell us how they are the experts about what we are supposed to believe. And we need to be a people who step out into the world in perseverance and walk and trust God through all the things that come our way because He is good and it is about relationships. So the Song of Ascents or the Psalms of Ascent are Psalm 120 through Psalm 134. And these were songs and prayers that people originally recited as they went up to Jerusalem to worship God. It was during their feasts and festivals that they would do this. Over 30 years ago, a guy named Eugene Peterson wrote a book called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction that is all about discipleship, all about walking with God. Because he thought a lot of people had stopped praying some of these psalms because they didn't understand them. And so he thought, well, I'll translate these so people would want to start praying them again, start talking through them. And so he took and translated those into the modern language of his day, which is a few decades old, so it's not so modern anymore, but he wanted people to start praying those again. And as I have said, and we've been discussing, discipleship is ultimately about living a life. It's not just knowledge about God. It is relationship with God day by day with Him. And this results in all the things that we've talked about in terms of discipleship. So let's see after last week when I asked this first question and everybody's like, what? Let's see if we can do this. Okay, so what is the first step in discipleship? Oh, wait, it's up there. You guys are cheaters. Dag nabbit. Okay, well, anyway, so the first step, it's like, I know it this week. It's right there. I, next week, that's not going to be up there, and I'm going to have you see if you know. So it starts off in repentance, and repentance is simply returning to who God calls us to be. I know when we talk about repentance, you think of people downtown New York City sandwich boards, the repent, the end is near. Repent simply meant to return, to come home to who God calls us to be. We surrender our lives to Him, and out of that comes trust. We trust God for who He is and what He has said, His provision over us in the person of Jesus Christ. And out of repentance and trust, that then moves into worship where we ascribe and acknowledge the worth of who God is. And then out of that, because we want to be a people who start to live like God in the world, Ephesians 5 says, like dearly loved children, we begin to people be a people who live out in service of others because our God has first served us in saving us. And then out of that, our witness comes because as we serve those around us, the witness of what God has done in our lives just becomes a part of how we live, becomes natural. And out of that comes steadfastness because in the midst of living out a witness in the world as we serve one another, we will get frustrated and it will get hard. And that means we trust God through those hard times. And it's not that we never have any questions. We don't have worries. It's not that we never have doubt or anxiety or anything like that. What it means is we walk this road trusting that God himself is steadfast over us. And so in the places where we get leery and don't know what to do, we trust and walk with him through those. And as we do, we see he is faithful over and over and over. And that leads to the next one, which is joy. 
And joy becomes as a byproduct of our relationship with God. And out of that joy, we begin to go out and work in the world. And that's the next one, work. We work because it's centered on the gift that God has given us. And as we work, that turns into blessing. And blessing becomes the result of how we live our lives and work in the world. Uh, blessing is not about our happiness. It is our understanding of what God has done for us in Jesus to bring us back to himself, which can result in a feeling of happiness, but it is so much more. So you see all these steps going to one to another. And today, this is going to move to how we live out our lives in perseverance, but it kind of comes as this discipleship moves forward and we trust God for what he has done. I'm not really going to talk about all these other things today. We're just going to focus on perseverance. And I believe perseverance is one of the best words in the New Testament. I love this word. The Apostle Paul will use words like endurance or finishing well in regard to perseverance. Uh, sometimes when I do weddings, I'd like to tell this story about perseverance where there's like this old couple they're married like 50 plus years and they're laying in bed at night next to each other and the wife looks at her husband and she says, when we were young, you used to hold my hand at night. So he reaches over and he, and he grabs her hand and then, and if you're married, you know, one hand is always hot and one hand is really cold because... That's how it works. And then she goes, when we were young, you used to snuggle up against me. So if you're old, you're all great, cop, pop, pop, and he gets over kind of next to her. And then she says, when we were young, you used to nibble on my ear at night. And he flings off the covers and goes storming out of bed. And she goes, where are you going? He says, to get my teeth. And so when I talk about that, I tell couples, like, you know, th this, is, this is perseverance. This is perseverance as you get through life. And nibbling on an ear is easy when you're young and, and the room is scented with love. But when you get older and that ear holds a hearing aid and the room is scented with being gay, that, that becomes <laughs> perseverance and endurance. And the truth is, anything meaningful in our lives will get to the place it requires perseverance and endurance. That includes a marriage, and it also includes our discipleship with God. Not that our perseverance makes us worthy of heaven. Jesus does that. But we have to understand there are all these things that really are beyond us. You have, you have your uh, gifts, your intellect, your IQ, all that are beyond us. But really, perseverance is a gift we can offer to one another and we can offer to God himself in thankfulness for who he is. Perseverance really comes down in the end to how we view who God is and our relationship and walk with him in our lives. It becomes part of the foundation of what we are building our lives upon. Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, will sum up the entire Sermon on the Mount with this parable about building your life on the rock or building your life on sand. And he says, if you build your life on sand, it's going to be wasted and ruined because there will be no perseverance to it. Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. This whole idea of what we build our homes upon, it's the, kind of the fork in the road that all human beings will come to in their lives. And we must choose, will we build our lives on the rock that is Jesus and the gospel, or the, our sand that is our own works and our lives apart from Christ himself? So discipleship is meant to lead us to this place where we trust God in the form of perseverance. And either we're right, wise and build on the rock, or we're fools and build on the sand. I think anything less than Jesus is going to result in less than perseverance. So Matthew 7, 24 and 25, this is how Jesus starts this little parable of this. He says, anyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. 
Now, th there's this old story, don't stop me if you've heard it, uh, where this guy goes to a builder and he, and, and, uh, and he says, I want you to build me just the most magnificent house you can think of. Like, make it something you'd like to live in. And so the builder starts going, and after two years, he comes back to this rich guy and he says, here, I made your house. And the rich guy says, you know what? Years ago, you did a paper for my family. You probably don't remember it, but when I asked you to build the house of something you'd like, I had you build it for you. And he gives him the keys to the house. And as soon as the guy gets keys to the house, he goes and he starts looking around and he saw all the blotches and the blemishes and a couple cut corners, you know, and things that he would have made better if he was actually going to live in the house. And he sees how much better he could have built it. And there's this moral of the story that we all live in the house that we build. And I think the beauty of the gospel, though, is that God comes in and he remakes and renews and restores those houses that we build. Open your Bibles to Psalm 129. That is page 333 if you have an element Bible. Now, a couple years ago, in my backyard, I had an easy up. The wind starts coming up, and my wife, very, you know, she's very intelligent, and she says, you should probably go take that easy up down. And I'm like, yeah, 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 whatever. And then the wind takes that easy up and throws it across my yard and just like into a pretzel where I had to get a grinder out and cut it in pieces to begin to throw it away. Would have been better if I anchored it onto the concrete or put rocks on it so it was held down, but... I didn't, and I'm a dummy. You ever go to the beach, and you watch people trying to set up their volleyball nets on the beach or an easy up, and all of a sudden the wind comes up, and boom, it just takes off. Why? Because they're trying to anchor these things in sand. Anytime you try to anchor something in sand, it doesn't stay. It doesn't last. Our lives, in our lives, Jesus tells us nothing is really going to ever go the way that we want. There are going to be tragedies and heartache and pain. And the wise are those who persevere because we base our lives upon his truth, upon his words, upon his person, not on other people, not on money, not on things. Those who build their lives on the rock trust in God's promise, his command, his insight. Our lives are built on him. They're not founded on our families or on our civil religion or our pragmatism or our jobs. And this is why this whole idea of discipleship leads to this place, because we are walking with God in relationship with him through all of these different steps. So this is Psalm 129. This is from Peterson's perspective, eight verses. This is what he writes. They've kicked me around ever since I was young. This is how Israel tells it. They've kicked me around ever since I was young, but they can never keep me down. Their plowmen plowed long furrows up and down my back. Then God ripped the harness of the evil plowmen to shreds. Oh, let those who hate Zion grovel in humiliation. Let them be like grass in the shallow ground that withers before the harvest, before the farmhands can gather it in. The harvesters get in the crop before the neighbors have a chance to call out, congratulations on your wonderful crop. We bless you in the name of the Lord. This is all about perseverance, standing firm. Jesus said in our lives, it is certainty of certainties that we will have troubles, that we will go through hard struggles. Plowmen will want to plow up and down your back. You will go through things that test everything you think you know about your life and who you really are. And this is why these steps of discipleship eventually leads to this place of perseverance. In the scriptures, we understand that real discipleship is never left untested. Never. It could be a doctor's diagnosis. It could be losing a job or losing a loved one. It could be a marriage on the rocks, and you just don't know what the end of that is going to look like. How do you respond? How do you persevere? How do you not give up? You go to the book of Psalms, and when you read the book of Psalms, you have two-thirds of the book of Psalms or Psalms of lament or Psalms of complaint. They're like angry, God, what is going on? But what you see is they're not really questioning God, they trust God, they're going to God with their questions. 
You look at the book of Lamentations, and Lamentations is a book in the Old Testament that people who, again, don't understand the scriptures, don't understand books like this, because Lamentations is just lament after lament after lament, and people say things like, this is what's wrong with the religion. These, these crazy, old, angry people writing poems that have nothing to do with my life. Well, they have everything to do with our lives. Think of race relations today, or issues at your job, or COVID-19, or maybe you just had a terrible upbringing. They've kicked me around ever since I was young, but they can never keep me down. This is how the ESV renders that. Greatly have they afflicted me from my youth. They have not prevailed against me. And then it goes on, and it says, their plowmen have plowed long furrows up and down my back. Then God ripped the harnesses of the evil plowmen to shreds. The ESV says it like this, the Lord is righteous. He has cut the cords of the wicked. And what this is telling you is that you have never been alone. Anything you have gone through, you have not been alone. Your pain is not in vain. How do we know our pain is not in vain? How do we know everything we go through is not for nothing? Because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's how we know. Our God came, our God knows, our God cares about us, he is involved. If you lose everything, uh, much of how Israel felt about their existence at the time, what or whom gives you strength on the worst day you've ever had? How do you persevere? We trust in Christ and what he has done. The, the person who hears Jesus and does not follow him is wasting their life. And Jesus in that parable kind of goes on and talks about what it means to build your house on, on, house on the sand. The first thing he says is that ultimately your life is wasted. It is wasted. Matthew 16, 26, Jesus says, What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? In the end, everything is temporary. Everything we build our lives on is temporary except for Jesus and our relationships with others. And if we don't build it on Jesus, it is wasted. And then the second thing he talks about is ruin. Jesus says that that house that was on the sand, it fell. The word that he uses, it says great is the fall. That's the word mega. Mega like mega mall or mega man or a package of toilet paper at Costco. It's a mega sized package of toilet paper. Most of the time today, the sand that we build on is our own rationalism. Like what's between our ears? I'm smart enough. I'm smarter than everybody else around me. I'm better than everyone else. We think we can do life by ourselves on our own and all we need is us, but we don't realize that we really have no control over our lives. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. And every single one of us, we're going to have a final day and we're going to breathe our last and everyone's gone and we're going to see Jesus face to face. Do we want to approach him like a father and a friend we've known our, our entire lives? Do we want to gratefully take his hand and go, oh, thank God. Thank you. Thank yeah, do we want to do that? Or do we want to approach him with this wavering uncertainty because we gave up the life that we could have had that he calls us to for a life that's built on our own personal sand? See, the person who trusts Jesus, he says you're on the rock, you'll never fall. That doesn't mean that things don't fall around us. That doesn't mean that life can't crumble. But we have a solid, sure rock that we build our lives upon. Eugene Peterson says this, For long centuries, those who belong to the world have waged war against the way of faith, and they have yet to win. They have tried everything, but none of it has worked. They have tried persecution and ridicule, torture and exile, but the way of faith has continued healthy and robust. And this is one of the reasons that people who don't understand Christianity, they look at followers of Jesus and they get it so wrong. They think that the Christian faith is like this fragile lifestyle that everything has to go well. And if you watch it in a movie or a TV show, every time someone questions a Christian about something, the Christian never knows how to answer the question. Like, oh, I don't know. You're so smart and I'm dumb. Oh, no. And, and their life like just crumbles down. That is not real Christianity. That's not someone who builds their life on the rock. Now, there are a lot of Christians, I think, who might actually live that way. But I'll tell you, when we walk with God, I mean, we are a people 
who are steadfast and sure and a people who persevere through these things because we are basing our lives on His truth. In Ephesians chapter 6, the Apostle Paul will talk about putting on the full armor of God. This is like righteousness and faith, and you take up the Word of God, and he says, when you do this, Ephesians 6, 13, he says, you'll be able to stand firm. In the book of Revelation, chapter 3, verses 10 and 11, Jesus is speaking to a church in a place called Philadelphia. And this is what he says, Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, and that's the word perseverance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. Now, some people read this and they think, oh, Jesus is going to come and take them out of that. No, when Jesus says, I'll keep you, it's I will keep you in the midst of what is going to happen. You are mine. You are set upon the rock. It's not going to be easy, but I will be the one who keeps you. He says, I'm coming soon. Hold fast to what you have, son. No one may seize your crown. And if you look in the book of Revelation, Jesus will talk to seven different churches. And at one point to all those seven churches, he will say, listen and persevere. Perseverance is key in a Christian life. Yes, we are saved by grace. We are. But perseverance flows out of that grace and thankfulness as part of how we live our lives in discipleship with God. Anyone, I think, can look like they follow Jesus for 10 minutes. I think just about anybody could do that. But how hard is it to live a life of actual true obedience, especially if you start to get persecuted for following Christ? So you take this church in Philadelphia. By the time the emperor Trajan comes into power, which is 98 to 117 AD, it is illegal to be a Christian in the Roman Empire. And if you were accused of being a Christian, you were brought in front of the Roman governor, the proconsul, the imperial governor, those people. And they asked, are you a Christian? If you said no, you're like, okay, you could leave. If you said yes, they asked you to curse Christ and to worship the emperor or worship one of these gods. If you did, again, you'd be spared. But if not, you'd be tortured and probably eventually executed. Part of the reason the book of Revelation was written was to prepare Christians for that situation. This is going to come. I will keep you. And think about these steps of discipleship, right? Blessed, joy. Well, how is that blessing and joy? Because we are meant to be a people who, no matter what situation we find ourselves in, understand that God is still, still doing a work in the middle of that. And I know when you read the book of Revelation, all we, people get all Hollywood and weird and spooky and all that, but it was meant to be an encouragement for what was about to come. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, that's perseverance. Now, this word endurance, the perseverance, this word, it's, it's called hupomone. And when you read it, it looks like hypomone. It's like a lot of money is what it sounds like. Hypomone? Yeah. No. Okay. So mone means to stay or stand. Hypomone means to that you hyperstand or hyperstay. We don't just stand firm, we hyperstand. Like you have your favorite comedian, right? They're not just funny, they are hyper funny. You have your favorite teacher in school, they weren't just smart, they are hyper smart. Uh, Hebrews 12, 2, Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. That's the word. Jesus hopumonade the cross. He faced pain and suffering. He didn't just stand. He hyper stood in the face of the cross. How do we stand and persevere? We look at what Jesus has first done for us. Think of the things that we worry about. How do we deal with that? Do we crumble or do we hyper stand in the strength that Jesus provides? You know the time when Rome ruled the ancient world? Uh, the Romans were amazed to see how Christians would get up after, to governor after governor after governor and say, we will not bow the knee because Jesus is king of kings and he is Lord of lords. And Rome would say, you'll be put to death. You know what the response was? Thanks be to God. Praise be to God. Okay, let's go. And it's interesting because that is not from Christian accounts. That is from Roman accounts, where governor would write to other governors and be like, can you believe what, what is wrong with these people? We're threatening them with death. And they're like, I'm going to worship Jesus. 
It's like what these people, their lives are built on something different than our empire is built upon, and that's true. Romans couldn't believe what they were seeing because they saw calmness, they saw faith, and they also saw a lack of bitterness in these Christians. Now think about today, how Christians respond to certain things in the world. How bitter do we get to things around us? I can't, oh, we get all angry about all of these things. Now, it doesn't mean we can't disagree with things around us, but where, where is our bitterness? Our bitterness kind of sits in the middle of everything we do. Perseverance allows us to trust God in the midst of hard things and not become a bitter people. We look at people who don't agree with us, and we don't look at them as our enemies. We look at those who need to come to know, to understand the graceful, saving love of Jesus Christ. This is the practicalness of the gospel. Jesus hyper stands in the face of the cross, and the people who understood that and trusted him hyper stood in the places of their own persecution. I'll tell you, so can we. I think it's amazing. Of all the disciples that Jesus took, you get to this guy named Peter. He is a fanatical bonehead. That, that is Peter, right? But he starts off with the name of Simon. And Jesus in Matthew 16, 18 says, I'm going to call you Peter, which means the rock. Really? Peter? He makes Peter a rock, a guy who can stand everything? Peter who can't keep his mouth shut, who makes promises he can't keep, who like chops this guy's ear off because he doesn't know what else to do? And that Peter... That Peter ends up hyper-standing at his own execution. That's what Jesus does in his life. I think anybody who takes the truths of the gospel will end up in a place when we walk in discipleship much like Peter, where we hyper-stand, we endure, we persevere. So, how are we doing? How are we doing? I don't know about you. Sometimes I'm like, I'm not going to eat any cookies for a week. And then a day later, I eat like five cookies. You know, I can't hyper-stay away from cookies. But... Do we want to be a people who can persevere no matter what we face, that no matter what comes our way, we are those who can persevere and stand? I mean, I think for us, for what we're going to face, you know, in the next couple months, years, things like that, it's nothing like the early church faced. They're not going to come and cut off your toes or, uh, you know, ch chop your head off or feed you the lions or cover you in pitch and light you up as a, as a torch for somebody's party. But for us today, what does it mean to be a people of perseverance and endurance? I think the first thing we need to understand is it doesn't mean we're perfect. It does not mean we're perfect. I, I love how the psalm writer here says, oh, what those who hate Zion grovel in humiliation. Okay, uh, th that is not turning the other cheek, okay? <laughs> in case you don't know, that's not loving your enemies. But it's honest. It's honest in the midst of what they were going through in their struggles. And it shows that these psalms are written by real people in real places in real circumstances, which means it's good to listen to what God says about this. And especially, I think, what Jesus says to that church in Philadelphia, because he knows. In Revelation 3.8, he says, I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and not denied my name. In Greek, that actually means you're little, you're puny, you don't have a lot of talent or numbers. And I know it sounds kind of harsh, but it's not. You read the rest of the book of Revelation, and Jesus connects this statement with, you know, rocks and sand. When we build our lives on the sand, we are not very strong. We are weak. We need to constantly go to Him and trust our lives in His hands into what He's called us into. And so what Jesus says is, yeah, yeah, you're puny. There's not very many of you. You're not very talented. But people you never thought in a million years would listen to you will listen to you because of your perseverance, because of how I will keep you in that. And essentially what Jesus is saying to these people is your suffering is never for nothing. My wife works at the hospital. And she will see some crazy stuff. Sometimes there are accidents that doctor and doctors will do these heroic measures to save somebody. And sometimes in saving somebody, they end up with some type of chronic pain for the rest of their lives. Now, some people look at that and they say, well, if they were animals, we'd just put them out of their suffering, which is totally true. But why? 
because suffering has no meaning for animals. But human life is infinitely higher than animal existence. Tim Keller says this, if you go into the great art galleries of this world, if you listen to the great music of this world, you'll begin to realize that suffering has enriched people's lives. The suffering in the life of an artist makes them richer, wiser, deeper, and more profound. One of my favorite preachers, a guy named Charles Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon, for the majority of his life, dealt with pain that wanted to lead him into depression. And what he did is he moved to a place where he said, you know, this is why mirth is important. This is why it is important to laugh and find the joy in the Lord. Suffering can be extremely meaningful, but suffering alone doesn't just make someone better. The fact is suffering can actually make people a lot worse of people than they were before. And how that depends and how we work it out in our lives will largely depend on who we are building our lives upon. If we build it upon ourselves, the suffering is just going to make us more inward and more self-focused. But when we focus it on Jesus Christ, when we our lives are built on that rock, we become a people who can live and walk there and take everything that comes into our lives, honor Him and other people with it. That's perseverance. And the second thing is it has been pointed out multiple times by people and by me as well during uh, this series in the course of Element that when we are people who persevere and we go through hard things, that shows us who we truly are. It shows who we truly trust. Like today, a lot of parents will try and keep their kids from going through anything difficult. They lay out lives so their kids' lives are very easy. And sometimes parents will be like, you're so ungrateful. Don't you realize all I do for you? Well, they don't because that's just their normal life. They, they don't get it. They, they think life's just like that. And sometimes kids will become shallow and they can't handle real pain in life and they're superficial, but they don't know that because it's just how their lives have been. It's just how they, they were raised. The fact of the matter is without learning to persevere through trials, we don't really come to the fullness of what it means to be human. Like you can't know how you're doing physically if you just lay in a bed all day going, man, I have great stamina. I can lay here all day. <laughs> it doesn't work like that. How strong are you, right? You don't know how strong you are till you have to lift something, till you have to do something. You're like, whew, wow, I need to work out. That's pretty bad. But some friends of mine and I were in Boston a few weeks ago. And we had this Airbnb. It was three stories. All the bedrooms were on the top story. And they were talking to one another. And so I just started carrying everybody's luggage upstairs. And by the time I got to the sixth trip, I'm like, whew, I need to work out. This is bad. But I wouldn't know that if I didn't walk up those flights of stairs six times in a row. This is why part of discipleship includes trials and troubles. I think until we experience trials and troubles and hardships, we have no idea how patient we are. We have no idea how selfish we are. We have no idea how courageous we are unless we go through some kind of trouble. And I will tell you this, and this is the hard thing for people to hear, the way that we respond and react when we get terrible news, the way we are when we are facing frustration and disappointment and pain is the way we really are. It reveals who we really are. People will say, why does God let bad things happen? And I think the answer to that is mercy. I think it's mercy. It is mercy for God to show us who we really are. In Psalm 27, verse 1, it says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? And that's the point. If there is anything but Jesus, who is our light and our salvation, we will crumble. If your career is your light and your salvation, and you build everything around it, if you lose your job, you're going to crumble. If your marriage is your light and your salvation, and you build your life around that, and you have a prolonged hardship, or maybe your marriage dissolves, you will crumble. If you build your life around a child, 
and they become your entire world and something, God forbid, happens to that child, you will crumble. If you build your life around your looks and how people perceive you, you're going to be offended by small comments. You're going to freak out if you gain a pound or two or five or ten. You won't know what to do and your life will crumble. It is mercy for God to show us where our lives are built on sand instead of the rock that is him. In Psalm 129, these pilgrims, they're singing these songs on the way up to Jerusalem. They're going to worship God. We are get to be a people who live after Jesus came. They are looking forward to God's Messiah. We live after Jesus comes. And instead of going up, we realize that God came down for us because we could never go up. We can never rescue ourselves. And this is why Christianity has an approach to suffering and perseverance that no one else has. Our worth before God is not based upon how well we persevere. It's based upon how he persevered for us. And because he persevered for us, that means so can we. Jesus comes to earth, paid the penalty for our sins, that which separates us from God and one another. And we can be honest enough to say here, this is my sin. This is my rebellion. We don't have to hide from it because acknowledging it doesn't make us crumble because our lives are built on the rock. And what it teaches us is when a Christian suffers, well, we can suffer with hope. And when we persevere, we persevere with hope. Today, we have to come back to a place of patient endurance in Christ. And I know it almost sounds like a strange thing to say sometimes when you talk about that. But if you look at how a lot of people live their lives, we live in it in tradition and ritual, mostly. Even people who don't believe in Jesus live their lives in ritual and tradition if you look how they live it. And it's Christians. A lot of people, we go to church because we're supposed to. We read our Bibles because we're supposed to if you read your Bible. Uh, we pray once in a while if you pray because, you know, that's what tradition dictates. But how many of us can say, I follow Jesus out of a sincere love for what he has done for me. And this is why these steps of discipleship become important to us with repentance and trust and worship and service and witness and being steadfast and joy and work and blessing and perseverance. Because only when we say we love Jesus because we are walking in relationship with him will we really persevere. I think it is why true perseverance only comes when we are a people who understand the gospel. And again, what is the gospel? The gospel is the reminder of what Jesus did to rescue and save us. This is why our lives are not built upon us. This is why we can readily acknowledge our sin before God. This is why we don't have to crumble when we do something dumb in our lives. We can come back to Christ because he has paid for it all. All the sin that separates us from God and one another, he took care of. And that makes us a people who can persevere through anything because our lives are not built on us. They are built upon him. I'm going to invite the band to come up. And as they do, I'm going to invite you to communion. Communion is a place where we remember what Christ did to rescue us, to bring us to himself. This is why you take a cracker like Christ's body was broken for us. And you take that cracker and you break it and you have wine or grape juice. If you're in the room, you're going to get grape juice, sorry. Uh, but you have grape juice and it's a reminder of his blood that was shed for you and me. Because our blood can't pay for our own sin. Our sins are against an eternal holy God. And God comes and makes the provision for us to bring us to himself. And that's what we remember. So our lives are built on the rock that is him. And understanding that changes not just how we approach God, but how we can even approach one another. We can easily say to one another, yes, this is, this is where I wronged you. This is where I sinned. We're not always trying to make excuses for ourselves. We can say, this is my sin. This is where I failed, but my rock is Christ. And I will persevere because he persevered for me. I will honestly speak about my life in the terms and places of what God has said over me first and foremost. 
and so we can be honest with one another and honest before God himself. Our relationship with God is restored because of what he has done. And today, if you need prayer, if you're, in a, if you're in a place where you feel like you don't persevere really well and you're always letting God down, you want someone to pray with you, they would love to pray with you. I'd talk to Sarah at the Welcome Center. She will connect you with somebody to pray with you this morning. If you're going through anything, we'd love to be able to pray with you. Just talk to her and let her know. We are a people who give because God gave so much to us. And this is why there's offering boxes all around the room. They're not just at the mailbox over there. Uh, they're all around the room. And we do not pass a plated element. You know, it's always a response to what God has done. And this is how we want to be a people who give and persevere in giving because our God first gave to us. I encourage you to take the sermon notes, look at those five daily questions and things to pray through, and then the questions on the side to begin to walk through those, that come back to the place to understand what perseverance actually is in our life, what perseverance is based on, how it comes out of those steps of discipleship to lead us to a place where we trust Him no matter what comes our way because He is the one who is faithful and trustworthy. And so we get to be a people who persevere because our great God persevered for us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for being a great God who rescues us, who comes to us, not that we are deserving, not that you need us, but because you have deemed in your goodness to rescue and save us. So I ask that you would teach us then to be a people who base our lives in your goodness that has been extended to us and that we would be a people who persevere because we are not basing our lives on what we've done, on the things that we think we are so good at, that we would not base our lives on our own relationships. We'd base our lives upon what you have done. And that would lead us to be a people who persevere. And God, just like the Church of Philadelphia, we may not be a people who are strong, we may be puny and not have a lot of numbers and not be, you know, all that intelligent sometimes. And yet you are the one who keeps us. And so teach us to be those who trust in that provision so we do persevere. That we do speak about you and that the world around us would know the goodness of you because of how your weak and puny people live their lives. Because we become strong because we stand upon the rock that is you. So teach us to live that way, our lives based upon the rock that is you. We ask this in your son's good name. Amen. I'm going to ask Mark to drop the blinds on the sides as he does. It's just to make the room just a little bit darker to kind of pull some of the distractions away. You take a couple moments and just Ask God, what are you building your life on today? Because all of us get different things in our, our lives that become so important to us that we kind of look at this as the thing and then that thing crumbles. And then what do we do? What do we do? And it is mercy for God to come to us and show us what we are building our lives upon. So ask him, God, what am I building my life upon right now? In your great mercy, show that to me. And then have me lay that before you and trust you instead of that thing. Whatever it is. And then come take communion, sing a couple songs with us, and then step out into your life that God has so graciously given you and worship and serve Him in perseverance.